This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Welcome back to World to Win. I want to say a big hello to all of our new subscribers and apologize. We had to take a week off last week. We were just so busy organizing, doing our thing, but also just reacclimating to life after the pandemic. Lots of places, um, you know, economies are opening back up. In the International Socialist Alternative, we're meeting in person oftentimes. So, you know, we just had to take a, a, a week off. Um, but we had the awesome opportunity to hear tons of feedback while we were taking a break. And so we want that to continue. So please let us know um, what have been your favorite episodes so far? Which guests do you want us to bring back onto the show? And are there any topics that we haven't touched on that you want to hear a socialist analysis on? We talk a lot about current events and historical and theoretical things, but there is definitely a socialist analysis for everything out there. And I want to remind our listeners and viewers that we are on seven of the major podcasts now. So if you're listening to us on a podcast, you know your friends, coworkers, family like to listen to podcasts, feel free to share it along. So before we introduce the episode, I want to say hi to my co-host, Yara. How have you been? I've been good. It's really, really hot here, but I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to it. How, how about you? We actually, we had a cold front here in June. It's like all over the place. As you can see, I'm in a long sleeve shirt, but I'm loving the summer. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about um, Latin America. There's tons going on there. I know Yara loves to hear about Latin America. Um, and so we brought on one um, returning guest, Andre, from Brazil. Andre, how have you been? I can't say long time no see because I saw you a few weeks ago. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It's great to be here again, particularly discussing this uh, mass struggle and resistance. I'm excited for the show today. And then we have a new guest, which I'm excited to meet for the first time. We have David, who's from Colombia, living in Germany. And actually, some of you may have seen David on our Spanish version of World to Win. So, David, thanks for joining us today. How have you been? Hello Toya, um, the best you can be when you're isolated to an extent due to different circumstances, but I'm glad that at least we get to have a conversation on important topics and a sort of human interaction, if you can call it like this as well. Yeah, we're kind of right? I guess it's the next best thing, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I think, I, I'm like Toya said, I love hearing about Latin America. I think that some of the... I guess the most interesting developments that have happened around the world have happened there in the last few decades. So I'm really, really excited to hear about it. But before we get into kind of like what exactly it is that's happening, I wanted to ask you, Andre, because you, like Toya mentioned that you have been on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we talked then about kind of COVID. And obviously the situation with COVID in Latin America is really, really bad right now. And I was wondering, do you think that there was a connection between the situation with COVID and the kind of uprising that's going on? Well, Yara, uh, yes, uh, I think, uh, well, we, we are still in a critical moment of the pandemic in Latin America. Unlike what we see in the US or in Europe, for example, vaccination is still limited and slow in most countries in, in the region. And we, 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 we have a growing in the number of cases and deaths. You know that more than 30% of COVID-19 deaths worldwide 
have occurred in Latin America, which has only 8.4% of the world's population. So the, the death toll uh, has now reached over 1.2 million people in the region. So it's, it's a very serious situation still. So the fundamental reason for this health disaster is, is the plague of social inequality, poverty, and uh, the even more evil character of capitalism in the region. So this inequality, poverty, and hunger uh, have worsened during this pandemic period. We have today uh, uh, 209 million people below the poverty line in the region, with 78 million living in extreme poverty. This is the worst scenario in 20 years in Latin America. But what we see today is a qualitative change in the effects of the pandemic on the consciousness and the attitude of large sectors of youth and workers. Before, the pandemic was a factor that discouraged people from fighting, making them stay at home, etc. But we have already gone uh, beyond the limits of what is minimally toler tolerable. So the drop of water has already made the glass overflow. So today, the worsening of the pandemic and social conditions generate more anger than fear, more indignation than caution. So that, that is the, the slogan that the Colombians, uh, David will probably speak more about that, but the Colombians are written in their placards, in the streets, in the demonstrations, what the Brazilians have started to adopt in the last uh, demonstrations. They, they, they write, when a multitude takes to the street in the middle of a pandemic, it's because the government is more dangerous than the virus. So uh, let us remember that the biggest mass uprising in the history of Colombia happened at the worst moment of the pandemic in the country. In Paraguay, for example, in March, uh, mobilizations took place protesting against the lack of vaccine and the management of the pandemic by the right-wing government of uh, Mario Abdo Benitez. And also in Brazil, uh, the second country, country in the world with more deaths from COVID-19, uh, we will reach uh, 500,000 deaths in, in a few days, probably. Uh, uh, Brazil is a country with limited movement since uh, mass movement since 2019, but we have uh, now a resumption of street struggles against Bolsonaro with the big demonstrations of May 29 and yesterday, uh, Saturday, June 19. So we are, what we're seeing is that the pandemic is aggravating the situation and provoking more reaction at this moment. I think it's it's really incredible to see what's happening across the continent. But I do like you didn't mention that we're going to talk about uh, Colombia, and I kind of want to ask uh, one question. I, I'm I'm really interested to hear from both of you about this. Uh, uh, but I think let's start from like with you, David. Uh, what because we've seen the kind of uprising in Colombia happening for a really long time now. Um, so I'm wondering if you can tell us what is kind of like, well, the key things that we should know about what's happening in Colombia right now. If we don't know anything about the uprising, what are the th key things that we should know about? Well, I would mention the key things would be maybe the, we should know the kind of nature of the current government. That is, it is an extremely right-wing government that uh, on the one hand tries to keep the semi-feudal relationships that appeared in many countries in Latin America hundreds of years ago and have uh, sustained themselves since then. 
And on the other hand, they are also, they have also been very cooperative with the neoliberal transformation of the world. That is, they have aligned themselves with the World Bank and especially with the IMF to implement policies that benefit both um, the international capital as well as the national capital. And that's, that has been, of course, to the damage of the local working class, especially given the fact that Colombia is a very weak economy and a very raw materials-based economy. So with a very large population of unemployed, a working class that barely scrapes by because of the also lack of job security that exists in the different types of flexibilization of work implemented by the conservatives and the self-declared center-left governments since the 90s. The Colombians didn't have too much to lose in terms of what they could face when going to the streets. Well, they actually have a lot to lose, but the, the fear of losing everything, on the other hand, is very convincing for many people. These last the last straw for the people going on the streets in this time was the attempt by the government of Iván Duque and supported by the whole coalition of government to pass uh, at the third tax reform in the in the three years of government of these last uh, since the last presidential elections that was intended to basically recover the losses, the economic and financial losses of the pandemic by charging the working class. That is, it included some very um, questionable tax, tax exemptions in different forms for the rich while charging the consumption and income of the working class to compensate and to call it like a sort of social uh, type of law, they also introduced a, a bit of support for the poorest in the country, which is a large portion of the population. But the second poorest should pay for that, and people were, were, were protesting that. Also, there was, there was the fact that they were trying to finish the, the privatization of the healthcare in Colombia, which started since the late 100, the, the 100th law that's called Laysian in Spanish, from the 90s and uh, the, an attempt to f finish the privatization of the pensions for the workers. Mm, with all of this, <clears throat> people went into the streets and um, what they did not expect was such a strong reaction from the government, which resisted every attempt of the people to make their voice be heard. Well, I, I think David has raised uh, some very important points and uh, I would add only that the, this movement now in Colombia has, um, got, has managed to overcome what happened in 2019. You must remember that 2019 was a year marked by great mass struggles in various parts of the world and in Latin America as well. In fact, 2019 is a milestone of a new stage in the class struggle in the region, marked by social explosions like those in Ecuador and Chile, and, and other uh, important mobilizations like those to, took place in Colombia itself at, at, at that moment. 
The 2019 demonstrations in Colombia were also provoked by the Van Duque's neoliberal policies. At that time, the mass movement failed to defeat the government, but it was also uh, not crushed by the government or contained by the pandemic. For example, in September 2020, new protests took place due to an assassination by the police of Javier Ordonez. Uh, so this provoked uh, a reaction, a max reaction. Uh, so the social boil kept it growing until what became the powerful social explosion uh, starting on April 28 uh, this year. So it's important to point out uh, that the social explosion was triggered by the call of, uh, for a, a national strike, a paro nacional, by the trade union confederations. This means that uh, within this popular uprising, the working class as a class played an important role. And uh, it's important to emphasize that the path to victory, the way to victory, the continuity of this movement, movement uh, until its um, final consequences also depends on the role of the working class, the working class taking a protagonist role uh, paralyzing the production and the circulation of goods and services and challenging the power not only of the government but also of those who uh, hold economic power, the ruling class uh, in the country. I think that what we see in Colombia today is an anticipation of similar situations that may explode not only in Latin America but in other parts of the world and are a mark of the historical period we are entering. Yeah, this is super exciting talking about what's going on in um, Colombia right now. So I'm glad that we have you both here. And I think it's important to kind of update people um, to where we are now because it's, you know, a, a forever changing situation. And of course, uh, the struggles aren't going to last forever. Um, so, Andre, can you talk about kind of what stage uh, we're at right now in struggle? Yeah, in fact, we are almost two months since the beginning of this uh, wave of struggles. And uh, the mass movement has reached a, a, a decisive moment now. Either it moves forward or it moves backward. So it's a, it's a very important moment we are, we are living now. So the mass struggle managed to put the government against the wall and defeated the tax reform, the new liberal counter-reform in the health system, overthrew ministers of the government, etc. So the government even announced a kind of a reform of the police after the enormous repercussions of the accusations against uh, the repressive apparatus of the state. Uh, but even so, there was no demobilization. So thousands of uh, uh, people stay on the streets, uh, uh, thousands of road, road blocks uh, remaining throughout the country, barricades were erected to protect the territories from the repressive uh, action of the police, uh, the army and the paramilitaries, mass demonstrations continued to, to take place. So the government then called for the formation of a dialogue table with the Comité Nacional del Paro, the National Strike Committee, which is formed by the trade union confederations and some other movements. But this uh, dialogue uh, is nothing but a first. Uh, the government has not made any commitment in the negotiations and has uh, not even agreed to discuss the revocation of the Decree 575, which uh, promoted the militarization of uh, several regions of the country. 
its only objective uh, is to gain time to contain the movement in the streets and demobilize workers and, and youth. So the government pretends to be open to negotiations on one side and maintains repression on the other side. So on June, uh, June uh, 6, the Comité Nacional del Paro, the National Strike Committee, decided to leave the negotiation uh, table, but they should not have even entered this trap. It was a mistake just to to, to, to enter it in this in this proposal. So, but in, instead of organizing the deepening of the struggle, the intensification of mobilizations, and building a real general strike, uh, what the union leaders did was to call for an end to the road roadblocks and uh, try to give a sign of goodwill that they are open to continue to negotiate. So. The same kind of uh, call for demobilization and the end of the blockades uh, uh, was made by politicians considered progressive, such as the mayor of Bogota, Claudia Lopez, and uh, the former presidential candidate, Gustavo Petro, who is expected to run in the May 2022 elections again. So uh, with this, they, they, they managed to end many blockades throughout the country, but this is a serious mistake. Instead of uh, forcing the government to retreat uh, 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 through mobilization, a stronger mobilization, or even overthrowing this government by intensifying the struggle, these leaders think that more concessions, retreats from the movement and appeals for negotiation will bring uh, results. So the government, with the support of the media and politicians, continues to try to divide the movement between a wing that uh, uh, go to the streets in an orderly fashion and a wing of those who are actually considered by the government and the media urban terrorists. Uh, infiltrated guerrilla agents uh, and, and things like that. So in, in this way, they want uh, to gain some support among the more conservative middle classes uh, by assuming the banner of order and uh, security. But there are still large sectors of youth resisting in the streets and blockades. Recently, a national popular assembly with thousands of delegates from social movements met uh, in Bogota and decided to maintain the mobilizations and not submit to the policies of the Comité Nacional del Paro, the National Strike Committee. So let's see if this movement develops and adopts a strategy of struggle and a more coherent and consequent program. So the only possible way uh, is to build a strong movement of the masses from below in the neighborhoods and the territories and workplaces creating and strengthening self-organization with committees of struggle, uh, popular assemblies and building a national plan of mobilizations that will lead to a, a real general strike. And uh, in this way, it's possible to achieve the overthrow of the Duque's government and, uh, and the system that created and, and sustained it, re revoking all the neoliberal attacks um, and uh, punishing those responsible for the repression and disbanding the anti-disturbance squads and all the repressive forces. So this program must be linked to an alternative of an anti-capitalist and socialist character by, by the movement.
such an exciting situation. And I'm glad you were able to explain some of the intricacies of what's going on, the negotiations that were taking place. And, you know, I didn't even realize all of all of, you know, the, uh, you know, the military, the the politicians, the, um, you know, the assemblies that are being formed. It's, it's extremely exciting. But David, I'm, I'm wondering what you think um, is needed as well to continue um, to fight for uh, you know, what the working class is calling for, but against this type of corruption, um, uh, yeah, and oppression that the, the military and the government is um, pressing upon the people. So what do, what do you see as the, the next steps forward? What we have seen so far is that the mobilization is certainly slowing down. And uh, that makes sense because it's been two months of uh, hectic activity on part of the people on the streets. A lot has been managed, but with the scale of the offensive of the right wing against the working class, this lot turns out to be lacking in the amount of things that have to be changed. This has also been acknowledged by the mobilizing working class, of course, but they still have no clarity on how to go forward. For example, the committee paro uh, the the strike com the national strike committee as as andre mentioned decided not to negotiate with the government because the government government was not negotiating in good faith but the problem is that uh, people still think that there is a way forward that can be done through just a policy policy decisions or some basic electoral changes or some limitation in the corruption of the country, which is, I uh, find it a red herring, but you know, corruption is always a, a big talk at the beginning of populist movements. Right now, the, there was another call for a big mobilization in Bogota by, by some leadership of the working class, of the, of the um, organized semi-organized working class and what we see is that people are not coming out so much as they did in the past. The movement is slowing down but the problems remain and uh, the government hopes that this will just die out but there is clarity among everyone uh, who, who is uh, analyzing Colombia that this will flare up again in the following months or in, in a couple of months or two. And there has, a there has been a lot of unresolved uh, situations that also arose from this uh, strike, especially from the side of repression. Right now, the, the Comité de Paro, with a lot of support of local assemblies of the protesting people, put forward seven reforms, which seven proposals or demands, that if you analyze them, have a very simple democratic uh, character, nothing of the sort of socialistic, but have have not been met with any sort of willingness by the government to be implemented. And that's that I can mention them here. First, they want to remove this last definitely remove the proposal of the healthcare reform because it was delayed because of lack of support of some congressmen, but it was still still in the backlog of the things they want to implement. And they want to make vaccination faster because the government has been a bit lax on the vaccination thing. The 
for for the protest and because of many other things, Colombia is right now having a death toll of 600 per day, which is certainly more than the than the system of healthcare can manage. They also want uh, no no matriculation for the universities, which is expectable given the the crisis. But more important, they are demanding a universal basic basic income because. Colombia, which is a very agriculturally productive country, was starving during the pandemic and poverty skyrocketed. And right now people are saying we want to have the minimum wage as an universal basic income for everyone in the country. The problem with this is that this represents an enormous change in the budget and certainly the government will not comply with this because this will throw their, their scheme of, their money making scheme of WAC and this will also empower the working class and in the end also increase the the class conflict so they will not comply with this what they have done instead is mm, the government has been unilaterally considering unilaterally considering to certain demands very partially like for example they unilaterally decided decided, decided to remove The tax reform they implemented for the city of Cali free university tuition and they implemented a police reform which is basically a change of the color of the uniform because blue color is more trustworthy and it inspires compassion and so other things. I don't understand. If you change them from green to blue, they will still shoot you anyway. But... Somehow they say that if they increase the rewards for the policemen, this will make things better. I don't know. This still sounds to me like they are rewarding body count, which is one great thing that the green, sorry, the Americans taught Colombians uh, with their policies of military. What I think it has to happen is that People still have to understand the limitations of dealing with the government and they, these assemblies that have formed have to link with each other as they have been doing, but with a clarity of how the current capitalistic or structure of society cannot provide their democratic demands for many different reasons, of course, because of the economic underdevelopment of the country, its dependence on the imperialistic a market setting of the world but this has to come this has to this clarity has to come in the first place what i see is there is revolutionary potential in the country but it's still in its first baby steps i would say so i want to move on to a different place in latin america that uh has been all over the media recently which is peru um you know We've talked about Peru in the past, especially at the height of the um, pandemic, Peru um, had some of the highest mortality rates, unfortunately. But right now they're in um, a very exciting election where Pedro Castillo um, is running for president. Um, I know he's a teacher, which is super exciting. He's never held office, but he's running against an extremely far right um, candidate, Fujimori. Um, so, you know, as we're filming right now, um, the results haven't been officially called yet. But Andre, can you tell us a little bit about this extremely exciting campaign? Oh, yeah, Troya. Yeah. I think that what is happening in Peru is especially important and has uh, a lot of repercussions in, the, in Latin America and, uh, and other parts of the world. 
we, we, we already have discussed in previous episodes of uh, Road to Win how Peru has experienced a deep political crisis related to the economic, social and health crisis in the country. Uh, since 2016, Peru has had four presidents, so uh, four presidents in five years. So Pedro Paulo Kuczynski, known as PPK, uh, elected in uh, 2016, fell in 2018 on corruption charges. In fact, all Peruvian presidents since uh, the Alberto Fujimori dictatorship, including Fujimori himself, until Kuczynski, have been accused and imprisoned for involvement in corruption cases. The only exception was Alan Garcia, who in 2019 shot himself in the head just before his arrest. So it's, uh, the, the Kuczynski vice president, Martin Vizcarra, was impeached by the Congress, uh, and then Manuel Merino took his place as president and lasted uh, five days in, uh, as a president. Uh, he uh, um, was overthrown by a mass movement and uh, that gave way to the current president, uh, Francisco Sagasti. So this chaotic political scenario worsened because of the economic crisis and the pandemic and accentuated the repudiation of the entire political system and, and the traditional politicians. So the mass struggles led by the youth that led to the fall of uh, Manuel Merino last November, November last year, uh, as well as the repudiation of the traditional politicians are the basis of uh, Pedro Castillo's recent uh, uh, victory in, in elections. So faced uh, with the leftist Castillo, all the right wing, the bourgeoisie, the rich elites uh, from Lima and uh, the US imperialism, etc., ended up uh, betting all their chips on Keiko Fujimori, the daughter of the genocidal dictator, uh, the extreme right-wing candidate representing the legacy of uh, Fujimori. So even, even uh, Mario Vargas Llosa, who some may know, he, he's a Nobel, uh, a literature, Nobel Prize winner for literature. Uh, he's a good writer, but a terrible politician, a neoliberal uh, politician who, who even he, he contested the elections that led to Fujimori's uh, victory in 1990. In 1990. And well, even, even Mario uh, Vargas Llosa declared the support for Keiko Fujimori and, and uh, all the, the elite in, in general. So Castillo was a candidate from outside of the political system. So in, in the first round of the elections, he was not even considered by the opinion pools uh, institutes. He was not invited to the debates on the television stations. So he became best known as, uh, you, as you have said, a leader of a, of a large teacher strike in 2017 against the Kuczynski government. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's uh, a union leader uh, from the rural regions of Peru, uh, so distant from the elites of Lima, etc. So his party is called Peru Libre, uh, is a leftist party that formally keeps references to Marx, Lenin, or even Jose Carlos Mariátegui, for example. Mariátegui was an important Peruvian Marxist thinker and 
activist and leader who is a reference for many Marxists in, in, in Latin America. But this does not mean that Castillo or Peru Libre are exactly Marxist. So uh, he, he, he's a left wing in general. And uh, he was candidate from uh, outside the political system, linked with social movements, and whose main slogan in the campaign was uh, no more poor in a rich country. So he was elected on an anti-neoliberal platform and uh, uh, fighting for profound changes in the political system. For example, he put forward the, the need for a constituent assembly to replace the Fujimori's 1993 constitution. So there is no doubt that the election uh, result in Peru represents a defeat for the ruling class in the country. And above all, it opens new opportunities for the mass movement, the youth and the Peruvian workers to continue their struggle. We must not forget that Castillo's victory came with a small margin of votes in relation to Keiko Fujimori. Uh, and uh, Keiko Fujimori does not accept the result. At this moment, there is still there is uh, uh, mobilizations of the peasants and uh, workers in front of the electoral uh, uh, court in terms to, to guarantee the results of the elections. And uh, uh, in, in this situation, it, it will take a lot of mobilization for Castillo to face uh, the resistance of the right wing and the bourgeoisie against his government. And this begin, begins uh, now, in, in fact. So it's important also to point out that Castillo has also many contradictions. He was pressured to moderate his profile and policies during the election campaign. Uh, he also already had a very uh, conservative politics on issues related to women's and LGBTQ plus uh, people rights, for example. Uh, he does not defend the right to abortion and repeats conservative rhetoric about the danger of teaching gender ideology in the schools and things like that. So despite this, uh, the space, the, the, the possibilities for the women's movement and other oppressed sectors to organize and mobilize for their rights in the coming period will be much greater uh, with Castillo than if Keiko Fujimori was the winner in, in the election. So, uh, and, and, and the only possible way forward for workers, uh, peasants, and indigenous people, women, LGBTQ, uh, etc., in, in the next period is to rise the level of their organization and mobilization. So only the struggle will bring victories for the Peruvian people. I, I just absolutely love hearing about this. You know, obviously there's always kind of the things we need to notice. And I think you, you've done a really good job under it, like kind of explaining what the kind of um, problems are. But at the same time, I always find it so exciting and kind of inspiring as well, especially coming from countries that have had decades upon decades of right wing, even even far right victories. It's so amazing to see that I think across the continent, we've seen not just these amazing mass movements, but also 
an actual shift in traditional politics even. And that being said, I want to talk about another place in Latin America that's had that, which is Chile. And there there was uh, last, last month a constituent assembly election where the right suffered massive blows and the left got loads of gains. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about this, uh, what brought this on and also why is it that this continent is where this is happening right now? Okay, Yara. Uh, well, in, in fact, we had an electoral result uh, in Chile marked by uh, the defeat of the right wing and a strong questioning of the traditional parties. Uh, the unified right wing list got only 19% of the vote, winning 37 seats in the constitutional convention. It's, it's far from obtaining the one third uh, necessary to have a, a veto power in the, in the conventions. So it, they, they, sh they should uh, got uh, 52 seats and they only get 37. So, but also uh, the center or center right list that opposes Piñera, uh, the president Piñera of Chile, uh, the, the parties of the former concertación uh, that ruled the country most of the time after the fall of Pinochet, and that includes the Christian Democracy, the Socialist Party, and other parties like the PPD, etc. They also had an extremely poor result. Uh, this list had only 13% of the vote and elected only 25 representatives. Within this coalition, the more to the right sector had the worst result. So Christian Democracy, the traditional big bourgeois party in Chile elected only two representatives for the constituent uh, convention. So the list uh, had uh, uh, fewer votes than the list involving the Communist Party of Chile and the Frente Amplio, the Broad Front. And it's another list. This list got 18% and elected 28 representatives. But the great mark of these elections was the result obtained by independent candidates, especially those linked to social movements and with a clear left-wing stance. La Lista del Pueblo, the People's List, for example, had a very close vote in relation to the Communist Party list, uh, Communist Party and Broad Front list. They, they got 15.53% uh, of the votes and elected 26 representatives. Uh, the list of uh, left-wing independents came in third place, despite the electoral system that privileges traditional parties and makes it uh, uh, very difficult for independents to campaign. So uh, there are still other independent candidates uh, 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 with the left positions in general. And we still have the 17 representatives of the indigenous people who will surely have more advanced and uh, left political positions in the constituent uh, convention. So. This is a strong rejection to the traditional parties and to the whole political system of the country represented by the Chilean constitution, which came from the Pinochet dictatorship. There is also a rejection of the new liberal policies pioneered by the Chilean dictatorship and maintained by all the subsequent uh, governments, even the governments of the Concertación. So this rejection of the political and economic system exploded in the streets in October 2019. And that the relation of social and political forces 
created by this social uprising is still present despite the pandemic, despite the intense repression, the thousands of political prisoners, the maneuvers of Piñera and the traditional politicians, and all the attempts to return to normality in the country. So it is worth remembering that in November 2019, to try to contain the mobilizations, Piñera, the president Piñera, was forced to accept the opening of a constituent process, but promoted an agreement for peace, a kind of a pact, with almost all the country's political parties, including some left-wing parties. And this agreement also imposed limits on the constituent process, aiming to preserve as much of the current system as possible. So the idea was to change something in order to basically uh, change nothing. So the new constitutional convention could not modify international treaties, could not intervene with the armed forces or the judiciary, etc. Formally, the convention would have to take place under Piñera's government and could not take over the government uh, itself. And, as I, I said, one of the most important points is that every resolution presented would need two-thirds of the votes to be approved. So the right wing did everything possible to win at least uh, uh, one-third of, of the seats uh, uh, in the conventions, and they built a unified list, they spent a lot of money, but they failed uh, clearly. So th th there is a, a search for left-wing alternatives in the country. The Communist Party... Uh, uh, despite having been part of the Concertación in the past, uh, they, they, they had an important growth. And, and uh, the main public figure of the Communist Party, Daniel Hadwe, uh, who was re-elected as a mayor of Recoleta in Santiago, is in the first place in the opinion pools for the presidential elections that will happen in November. Uh, but most important, there are extremely rich process of reorganization of the left coming from, from below through social movements, popular assemblies, and, and, etc. So to a large extent, the Lista del Pueblo, uh, this uh, people's list, reflects this process. The Lista del Pueblo itself is organizing to hold a congress and articulate itself nationally as a political force around a quite radical political position that uh, uh, they talk about, uh, for example, things like uh, literally putting an end to the dictatorship of capital, for example. They also talk about uh, building a political project of a revolutionary character to refound Chile. So the Lista del Pueblo demands the freedom to all political prisoners and calls for the straightening of the people assemblies in the territories and the neighborhoods so that everyone will be part of this constituent uh, process. So there will be a lot of struggle and pressure on the Constitutional Convention to confront its institutional limits. And in this process of struggle and grassroots uh, organization, etc., and a, a, a kind of anti-capitalist and socialist political alternative of the workers and oppressed people can be forged. And this is what we in the ISA stand for and uh, will work for in this process. Latin America is not new to these sort of revolutionary struggles, David. You, you know, you've been on the show today talking about the current situation in Colombia, Peru, you know, Chile. Um, but in the early 2000s, we saw a revolutionary wave um, go through Latin America. Um, would you say that, you know, this coming decade, we're going to see a similar situation? 
Well, in the early 2000s, what we mostly saw in Colombia was a counter-revolutionary wave. But in the rest of Latin America, we saw the Venezuela, the, the semi or, or, yeah, I would say semi-revolutionary movements in Bolivia, Ecuador, and Venezuela, of course. Um, and also the, these social democratic pink type movements that appeared in, in Argentina and in Brazil with Lula. But this was also, uh, depending on the, on the commodity boom that existed in that, in that specific time. And because of that, many of those self-titled revolutionary movements or social demo socialist or social democratic leaderships decided to ride that wave instead of using that push to transform society in favor of the working class. So th those movements died out. We can see, for, especially in the case of Ecuador, how the Correismo, the movement of Rafael Correa, didn't leave much behind in terms of organized working class and uh, with the coming of his, his supposed followers that more or less betrayed his policies in favor of typical orthodox neoliberal doctrine that not much le stayed and same in the case of the pacifying tendency in Basile from Lula that was then replaced by none other than Jair Bolsonaro in these last times but in those times the rest of the world didn't have this tendency for a revolutionary or semi-revolutionary inclination it was very stable in the sense of that that uh, Western democracies like it, which is just allowing the capitalistic exploitation of all of the poor people of the world and especially in the third world. But this time what we see is different because the whole world is in crisis because of the pandemic, as we all know, but there is also the deeper crisis of the, the, the cyclic crisis of the economic system. And it's expected to be some of the worst ones. So there is no, no escaping the general trend of the world. And because of Latin Americans, Latin America's dependent position, it can no other but feel the whiplash of this crisis harder than North America, Europe, and other places in the world which are better suited. This leads us to, of course, uh, finding ourselves as a working class between the, a rock and a hard place and the only real way forward is a properly organized revolutionary movement, which people will learn, but we have to see how many years it will take. Thanks so much, David. And I want to ask you, Andre, you know, you spoke earlier about what um, a Castillo win um, for presidency in Peru would do for the rest of Latin America. So if we are going to see this um, sort of shift uh, in class struggle in Latin America, what um, should be different this time um, to take us forward? Yeah. Uh, well, what can and should be different this time? I, I agree in general with Davi. I think uh, the world is in a different situation, a much more critical in reality. 
uh, at this moment and there is also accumulated experience for from the previous period so there are more conditions i think for an alternative uh, 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 built by the workers without illusions in the established order uh, uh, in, in, in the next period so new progressive governments in the region will find the scenario much more polarized uh, in the past it was possible for a period and to a certain extent for reformist governments to achieve some advances in the living conditions of the poorest without necessarily breaking with capitalism and openly confronting the national bourgeoisies and uh, imperialism etc that is what lula in brazil argued uh, in the past as a win-win policy and uh, what gave basis to his class conciliation policy lula used it to say that never the bankers made so much money as during his government and that the extremely poor never had improvements uh, as they had during his government and this is true at a certain point so the commodity booms uh, and, and the relative uh, international favorable situation allowed this exceptionality but this is over and lula felt uh, it in his scheme the pt was overthrown from power by a coup that conduct that uh, opened the way for bolsonaro and lula himself was imprisoned for 580 days and all the time he asked but why why are the bankers against me why are the military against me if i only benefit them so today preparing for the 2022 elections he continues to advocate class conciliation trying to convince the capitalists and the bourgeois politicians that he is a better candidate than bolsonaro and just like lula other uh, progressive governments or progressive politicians uh, has not learned from this lesson alberto fernandez has not learned his lesson from from the kirchner's government in in argentina it is the same with Lopez Obrador in Mexico, in Mexico. and uh, we will see what will happen with uh, Luis Arce in Bolivia, maybe with Pedro Castillo in Peru, or in the future maybe with Gustavo Petro in Colombia, maybe. Uh, but uh, in fact, we must reject, confront the attacks of the right wing and the capitalists against the measures in favor of the people that these governments or future governments adopt but we must not fail to recognize their limits we must take on uh, the task uh, of building or rebuilding a socialist and revolutionary left that has uh, learned the lessons from the limits of the progressive uh, reformist in, in Latin America. So there will be more room for that in the next period, I think. A revolutionary left uh, uh, that is rooted in, 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 in working class, the youth movement, the women's movement, blacks, indigenous populations, etc., and all the exploited and, and oppressed. Um, this is what uh, the International Socialist Alternative is working to do in Latin America, and we call on everyone to join us in the building of this new revolutionary left. Thank you so much, Andre, and thank you so much, David, as well. I think, again, I love those episodes. I think Latin, the, the situation in Latin America is always really, really interesting. And 
I've learned so much from this. I feel like we've kind of taken a road trip around uh, the continent and learned so much about all of the massive developments that are going on right now. So thank you so, so much. But Andre, before you go, I want you to stay for this, um, for this shout out of the week this week, because what we are shouting about is actually another Latin America themed uh, uh, exciting thing that's happening. It's a really Latin American episode today. Um, so we actually have a new ISA Latin American magazine, which I think is really, really interesting. But obviously you were involved in that, Andre. So can you tell us a little bit more about it and kind of let us know where we can get it and what we can find in it? Yeah. Yeah, Yara, yes, uh, I think that ISA is taking some important steps in, in, in the work in Latin America, not only in Brazil and Mexico, but we are going, expanding, uh, 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 broadening our work for other uh, countries. And uh, we are producing a new uh, ISA Latin American magazine. It's called uh, America Latina Socialista socialist latin america it will be produced in spanish and portuguese and uh, it will be uh, out uh, in the next days in reality and uh, we ask all comrades in all parts of the world and uh, 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 in latin america to to buy it they can they will be able to buy it online or physically in different countries. And we will have uh, uh, different articles on all these uh, uh, issues that we have uh, uh, talked about uh, today and others. And uh, it will be a very important weapon in the building of a left, uh, a revolutionary left alternative uh, in Latin America. So all the comrades are invited to know, to buy the magazine and to know about that and help to di di uh, distribute it. Yeah, and I think today's episode kind of highlighted as well why we should support our sections and our building generally, not just where we have sections in uh, Latin America. So I think even if you're like me, and you unfortunately cannot speak either Portuguese or Spanish, uh, still get a copy of the magazine. Uh, kind of either find someone who can translate for you or even just donate some money to help us uh, kind of build in the region because there's so many developments and we need to be underground uh, and we have so much potential to grow there. So thanks again, Andre, and thank you everyone for watching. Uh, it's been great to be back and we'll be back next week, uh, same time, same place. So see you later. This is World to Win. Every Sunday we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!